there's so much value you can add by separating the apartments in a three family. To be able to sell a three family for, let's say, $900,000 or those three condos for $400,000 each. And that's $300,000 worth of value. You're listening to another episode of the Home Point Experience, where we share our experience from building a real estate company, as well as the friends in real estate we meet along the way. Today, we have Andrew Litchfield to the show. Andrew is a real estate developer, a licensed general contractor, and a real estate broker. Andrew is the founder of Penny Investments, which is a company that ranges its focus from condo conversions to renovating and rezoning properties and even purchasing rental properties, mainly focused in the Boston area, but all over Massachusetts. I'm very excited to have Andrew to the show today because Boston is notorious for its condo conversions. This is where you take a multifamily, like for example, a triple decker, and you go through the process of deeding each of these individual floors into individual different condos, which then you can resell or you can rent those out. It's a really cool niche in Boston that is very notorious for. So Andrew, thank you for taking the time to share your experience with the world. Today, we're going to be diving in heavily on the condo conversion side of things and learning about that. But before we do that, let me ask you this. What is your backstory, Andrew? How did you get started in real estate? Well, Justin, first of all, I appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. Love to be able to share my knowledge with people that are just starting and people that have been doing real estate for a long time. Of course, brother. Love to have you here, man. Of course. So yeah, my backstory is uh, I started uh, getting into real estate at the age of 19. I was going to college at Mass Maritime Academy, and I saw a ad for a real estate seminar it was a one night seminar and it was for Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure a lot, a lot of the listeners uh, know that book, but that kind of started me on my journey. So I went with a couple of buddies and all they were talking about was making money while you sleep. Mainly at that time, they were talking about rentals. Hey, if you know, every month you get uh, a check and that kind of started my whole journey. So I started doing some networking events, going to you know, network as much as possible with people that have been doing it and met my first mentor. Uh, He was a guy doing flips out in Worcester and he kind of showed me the ropes on every part of every aspect of real estate. So, you know, from project managing, from running to Home Depot all the time for these contractors to analyzing properties. So, you know, I've come a long way. Uh, It's been about 12 years since I first started and, you know, I could go through the whole range of things, but that's a little bit of how I got started. And, uh, you know, now I'm in the Boston area doing what you said, conic versions, a lot of rezoning properties. Um, and it's been really good for me. That's awesome, man. That's a great story. And it seems like you were, you kind of took the initiative to go out there and start educating yourself. And then you just started meeting people and the world started pushing you in the direction of real estate and, and making you essentially successful in it because you just took that, that first step, that first leap, and you just kept on it. And I love that, man. That's a, that's an awesome start of Justin, that, that journey. Absolutely, man. That is exactly what it is. It's taking that first step. I also tell people that, um, you know, getting into real estate, you really got to have a passion for it. You've got to, it's got to be something that you like doing, that you love doing, uh, because it's very tough to start in real estate without that passion, because if you don't make money the first three months, six months, and you keep on going, you know, eventually you will. But a lot of people, uh, if they're not passionate about it, 
they'll get involved and say, you know what, it's not for me, or I'm not making any money and, and get out of it. So I knew that was my passion from the beginning. And one thing I, I told myself in the beginning, and I still remember this, sitting down in my buddy's basement was, uh, I don't know anything about real estate now, but I'm going to become a master of it. And I'd say 12 years later, you know, I'm not a master, but I'm pretty close. And, you know, I'm learning every day, just like I'm, I'm sure a bunch of your viewers are too. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's awesome. And it really stems down to your mindset. I mean, with anything in life Definitely. too, but you know, obviously in real estate, obviously in business, like you had the mind, you had the perfect mindset for it. You had an openness mindset, you were willingness to learn, you were willing to be coachable and you're willing to put yourself out there and understand that like, listen, I'm probably going to fail a lot. I'm probably not going to make a lot of money at the beginning, but I know if I become successful at this, I know when I become successful at this, it's yes. going to be well worth the, the ride. But I, I truly believe that too. Like you got to have a passion in it somewhere. You got to find somewhere in the space that you love that you absolutely love. And I feel like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong for you. It's like, it's the ability to help others get into the game right now. I feel like that's like where, where it really stems down for you. Right. It does, Justin. I mean, I've always had that from the beginning, but, uh, you know, I always love helping other people and not just in real estate, but in other, other areas, uh, in real estate. Now that I've had this, all this experience, I really want to get back that experience as much as possible. So I have a ton of mentees, a ton of people that say, hey, I want to get into real estate. I don't know how. And if they have the passion and they have the initiative, I'm happy to help them. But I'm sure you know, in this game, there's a lot of people that say they want to get into real estate and think that it's all sexy and we're going to make all this money, um, but doesn't happen that way. And then they kind of fizzle out. So, um, you know, the passion is a big part of the game. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram make it like a glamorized thing in real estate, a get rich quick scheme. A lot of people totally. come and go very quickly in the game. And I realized that too. And uh, it's it's our generation of like this entitlement that we deserve to be rich without putting the work in. And then you get people that just dive into real estate, you know, they'll, they'll start to reach out, they'll start to start in the process. And a couple months later, they fizzle out for sure. I see, yeah, I see, I see it day in and day out too. And um, it's, it's unfortunate to say the least, you know, it's, it's what social media does to us unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, even when I, when I first started, it was, there wasn't much social media. Um, right. But now that I see it more and more, you watch all the HGTV shows, flipping, uh, flip flop and all that stuff where it looks so easy, right? Oh, we bought it for this, you know, put this much, this much into it and we sold it and we made this much money. And that's not always the case. You know, I could go over plenty of stories where I've lost money um, on projects, but all that does is add to your experience and make sure that you don't do it again because you know someone could tell you don't do this but learning it you're on your own and going through it on your own um is the ultimate teacher yeah yeah i agree and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to really start this podcast to really put it out there and show the world that you know this business can be very simple but it doesn't mean it's easy there's a lot of steps involved Definitely. there's a lot of failure involved and you got to be willing to endure the pain to be able to get to the way you want to get into it but let me take a step back real quick andrew you said you you know one of the most uh, instrumental factors of your success was you know meeting that mentor along your journey uh you know talk a little bit about that like how did that go? How did you meet them? And how did that relationship work? You know, how were they able to be in a position that they wanted to work with you and help you? Um, and, you know, did you provide them value at all? That's a great question. Um, so I went to a, a, a RIA meeting, real estate investing club meeting, and he was, they were doing a little contest where there were a panel of judges and they would go over certain deals and, okay, what would each judge do in the, in these situations? 
And he was one of the guys up there. As I'm watching him in the audience, I'm like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. So afterwards, you know, we're doing our networking. I went up to him and this is me at 19 years old saying, hey, uh, you know, I don't know much about real estate, but I really want to get involved. I said, do you have any opportunities? Do you have any internship positions or anything? And I don't know what it was about me, but he was like, I don't, but let me find one for you. And so he kind of created that for me. You know, I know he was looking for some sort of assistant or someone that really was passionate about it. So uh, I started working for him uh, in Worcester, wasn't paying me much, 10 bucks an hour. But honestly, for me, it was more about the experience. You know, getting the money was a nice extra after the fact. Uh, And he started off, and I tell people this all the time, he started off and said, all right, here's 10 properties. Here's the lock boxes for these properties. I want you to go to them and I have a spreadsheet. I want you to fill out this spreadsheet on what you think needs to be done in these properties. We'll put together a budget. Then I want you to come back and I want you to run comps. What is this property worth? And then he would have a simple formula for me. And I'm sure you know this formula too. Uh, And I would go through that and he would say, okay, what should we be offering on these properties? So learning that early on and analyzing properties was a big plus for me. Uh, Being able to go into properties nowadays and saying, okay, this is going to be a $60,000 renovation, or this is going to be a $500,000 renovation when you're dealing with properties in the city. Um, You know, that's a really hard thing to teach without the experience. When I start working with people that are interested, they really have no clue where to start when it comes to construction. Uh, and knowing your construction numbers allows you to really work with contractors and get the best prices because you kind of know what you're talking about too. So it really is, like you said, just diving in and gaining as much experience as possible. But analyzing properties was a huge thing for me because now, now I can go into any property and say, all right, plumbing is going to be this, electrical is going to be this. And what I'm realizing is like, is like you said, that, that stuff you know, you can't just go to, into a classroom and learn it. You got to go out and you got to see it and uh, and learn from that that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was very similar to, to me and how I got started in, in learning about this stuff as well. Like, I, you know, right now I have a team and I, you know, I'm teaching people that never knew anything about real estate, the game. And I'm kind of assuming that they know things that I know because I know them. Right. And I'm just like, thinking, all right, they should probably know them too. <laughs> and it really stems me back. Like, all right, you know, what in my background actually taught me this, you know, I was a foreman for someone that did flips and we went through mm. and I went to home Depot and I was buying the materials and we were, we were literally building the projects up from ground up from the bottom up. And that taught me all these things I need to know about where I'm at now, you know? And I, and even, even when I was a licensed real estate agent, I still am today, but I was doing BPOs, broker price opinions, where I essentially yes. I went to foreclosures and I did the analysis. And I think in real estate, you got to either know somebody, be partnered with somebody or really love numbers or, you know, your partner, Definitely. someone has to, you got to, you got to be able to analyze properties very effectively. Otherwise it's going to be a really hard time for you. You got to be able to walk into a property, like you said, and instantly say, all right, you know, I already did my research on the comps in the area. So this home, when it's all fixed up, it should be worth X. And I'm yep. looking around, it needs new flooring. It needs new uh, kitchen, new bathroom, new roof. Okay. It's going to be 50,000. Boom. You already know a rough average just with, just by eyeballing it out. And you should be able to determine that within 
you know, minutes of walking the property. Um, and you know, that, that really is a, such a useful skill set where you don't have to bring in contractors. You don't have to do that where you can do that yourself as a real estate investor. You almost need to be able to do this. I mean, I'm not saying you have to, but you really should pick up the skill of being able to analyze properties. And it seems like that mentor really was the one that taught you that, which is incredible. Awesome. Yeah, he really instilled that in me. And, and like you said, Justin, you can find a partner like that that loves all these numbers. But, you know, I feel that the the best ways that you learn is <clears throat> doing, doing it yourself first, right? Learning all of that yourself first, because once you know all of that, then you know who you want to find in order to take it over. Uh, a common mistake is someone that says, oh, let me just find a general contractor and he'll tell me everything. You know, if you don't know and you don't trust that person, you know, they could be steering you, you in the wrong direction. Now that you, like you were, you were foreman. What I used to do is my electrician, who is still my electrician today, and I've had him for over 10 years. He was a young guy like me when he got started. And I was like, hey, I got a two family. I don't have enough money to do a full rewire. I said, hey, what if I worked with you? So he said, okay, charge, I'll charge you X amount uh, per hour for me. And then I was his laborer. So I was literally pulling wires, pull, uh, snaking wires through the walls, going into the ceiling. And like you said, Justin, once you've done all that, now an electrician will come to me and say, okay, well, it's probably going to take me four hours to do this. And I'm going to say, well, I know exactly what you're going to do. It's probably only going to take you an hour. Wow. Uh, I wouldn't have known that without going through it. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent, man. And like, just knowing that alone is going to save your butt a hundred times over for sure. Definitely. So, you know, Definitely. so it seems like you were getting this experience, you know, working with this guy and you ended up getting your general contractor's license first. Yeah, I know. So I, I got my real estate license while I was with him. I think that's okay. a big part of it. And I didn't, wasn't an active real estate agent. Uh, but you know, when you, at that time, when I was looking at properties or maybe when I want to buy my first property, acting as the agent for myself, well, I was able to make some money. Or if I wanted to go sell my own properties very early on, I was able to save that commission. So I think anyone getting into real estate, it might take a little bit of time, but it's definitely worth the, to get your real estate license. Even if you don't want to practice you know, being an agent full-time, having that, because there's plenty of opportunities for you to you know, be able to keep commission um, or make commission. So I got my real estate license. Um, then I started getting into the financing side of things. Um, and that's a whole nother story. So, you know, started working on analyzing before I was doing, working on construction, uh, Home Depot runs and all that stuff. And then I asked my mentor, like, okay, I want to figure out how do I buy one of these properties? So he showed me hard money lending, getting into hard money lending, getting into raising capital. Um, so if, you know, the audience wants to hear that. That's definitely something that, uh, you know, you can definitely find a partner for it, but going through it yourself uh, is necessary because then you're going to figure out where, uh, where you should look, be looking for capital, what the best way to finance a project is. Um, and, you know, I, finance, I have financed projects bad in the past where, you know, maybe I didn't raise enough money and then I'm scrambling for more money. So now that I've done this so many times, I know exactly how you know to fund a project, uh, how to get it at the lowest cost. Uh, and that's a big part because when you're analyzing a property, you have to take into account those financing costs and those holding costs that you're going to have for the length of a project, especially if that project may be delayed a couple of months. How does that affect your bottom line? 
has to affect your profit if you're going to have three more months of interest payments. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Yeah, no, I, I get that, man, for sure. So you were working with this guy, you know, you were, you were helping him out. And what like kind of drove you to continuously ask these questions to put you in the right direction? Were you educating yourself on the side here? Or were you listening to other podcasts? Or were you reading uh, real estate education books? You know, what, what were leading you to ask these questions? Like, hey, I need to learn about the financing of this. Well, I think just being around him uh, was, uh, got, just got my curiosity going and I've always had that passion. So I was always reading books. I've done plenty of those seminars. Um, but sometimes those can be very expensive. And like you said, in the beginning, you can either go to these seminars and try to learn all this, or you can find a mentor. And there are plenty, almost everyone in real estate wants to help. You know, if you go out and you ask them who doesn't want to share the knowledge that they have and that they've gained. Right. So, I've seen him doing what he's doing. I said, okay, what's the next step? Well, if I want to buy my own properties, you know, what do I got to learn? I got to learn the financing side of things. So um, when I was 21 years old, a couple of years in, I'm still working for him and I was able to find my first property. And he said, okay. I said, I, I need to know how to finance this. So maybe that was one of the reasons why I got into financing because I found this property that I wanted to buy. It was in Webster, Mass. Um, and was probably one of my best deals ever. Um, and getting into a really good deal for your first deal is such a great launching pad for your career in real estate. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, that, that's such a great opportunity that you're able to have this person really, you know, be there for a support line. And I think that's a huge, like main misbelief in business and life that like the super wealthy, the super rich got there for a reason, but realistically, they want to give you all that education. Like I'm telling you, everyone out there, I mean, like it's probably not everybody, but it's probably like 80% of successful people want to share their knowledge. They want to share their education because most people that get to become successful love the art of giving. They love the art. Totally. Of giving. They want to give back. They want to teach other people. It. And like, even myself with this podcast, this is a true testament. Like everybody out there that becomes successful gets there for a reason. And those reasons usually derive from helping other people. So, you know, if you go out there and just start asking people, you know, for help, essentially, don't just ask for help in a sense of like, you know, you're not going to give anything in return, but like, there's people out there that want to help you. You know, if someone reached out to myself or even yourself today and asked us a couple of questions in real estate, you know, we're going to help them. And if we see that all right, this person takes that answer that I gave them and actually took action on it and they're there, they come back to me with another question. I'm going to be way more prone to continue to keep helping them because they're actually doing it. They're actually taking my advice and there's no better feeling to me. That's the intrinsic value you get in life. I feel like where you're actually helping someone, they're taking that advice and they're actually going to do it. That's how you get yourself a mentor right there. You know, Andrew, I mean, what, 100%, Justin. And just to add on to that point, you know, when you say like, you're not just going to go out there and ask questions and not be able to provide anything in return. I mean, how many times have I taken uh, a mentor or someone that is doing something that I want to do out to lunch? I mean, how much money does that really cost and how much knowledge you're going to gain from that? So, you know, a great tip for people that are first starting out is reach out to us on Instagram. Everyone that reaches out to me on Instagram or whatever social media it is, I am more than happy to sit down with them. Maybe they come and see one of my projects and, or maybe they say, Hey, can I grab, can I buy you a coffee or can I grab you lunch? And you pay for that lunch, you pay for that coffee. And in return, you're going to get this knowledge. And like you said, when they come back to you with more questions and they performed on what you've told them, like you said, there's no better feeling than that.
Exactly. Exactly. Like you, you, between the relationship between you and your mentor, you know, you were working with him, you were helping him out and you were asking him the right questions and he was teaching you every step of the long way. So when it came to, all right, man, I'm going to start buying my own properties. He was more than happy to help you out and guide totally. you along that journey and, and hold your hand through it. And because he wants you to become successful. He wants you to be like yep. him and you want to be like him. And it's just a perfect relationship right there. And you guys are working like symbiotically with each other. And, and there's no better, no better relationship like that. You know, I Definitely. know you touched on a little bit between, you know, kind of like the mentorship versus even like partners. Uh, you know, talk on that a little bit. It seems like, you know, you maybe you had some experience working with partners and you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, your take on it. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, mentorships and, and, and partnerships are completely different. You know, when you're in a partnership, uh, you know, it really depends. I, I think I'm at a point now where, you know, the partnerships that I like are deal by deal versus if you want to get into a partnership with someone and share everything, let's say it's one other partner and it's 50, 50, you know, setting expectations from the beginning is such uh, a, a big thing, you know, Hey, what are you going to be working on? What are you bringing to the table? And making sure that it, at any point that person is not bringing what was expected of them to the table, there's a conversation around it. So I've been in, you know, partnerships with two other uh, two other partners, and I've been in partnerships with one other person. Um, I think the biggest thing that you learn from that is uh, no one no one is going to work like you work. You know, and no one has the same life or lifestyle that you have. For instance, when I met these two other partners that I started doing business with, we're all single guys. Uh, a year or two in, uh, I got a girlfriend who had two, two, two children. Uh, so I became a family really quick. You know, we got married. <clears throat> I got another. I got another child. So now my lifestyle is completely different than these other two, and you can see what that does. Whether, you know, I'm more ambitious to make more money for my family and they're not as much or, you know, maybe I'm up at 5 a.m. and they're up at 8 o'clock, you know, then, you know, if you're not setting those expectations from the beginning, that's where, you know, you can get in a little bit of trouble when it comes to partnerships. Um, so I think just being aware of that person, honestly, everything about that person, because they could be great in business but they could have a totally different lifestyle than you. And, you know, from my experience, I feel that though those partners really have to have a similar lifestyle to you, similar morals, similar ethics. Um, and that's how you grow with a partner. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people get into partnerships because of, you know, like, one or two reasons, right? They're either uh, too scared or don't think they have it in themselves to complete it. Yes. Or they're really looking for that other portion of, of what they need in terms of something, right? It could be money. It could be education. It could be a skill set. And I think th that's like where you can really complement each other. But I agree. I think the one-off partnerships are even, even it could grow into something more than that, but at least to start, you know, to start into one project, get acclimated with each other, see if you guys are compatible to work together long-term and you know, you never know. Things might change over time. So having a, a strict, broken down guideline towards what everyone's responsibilities are, are crucial for partnerships as well. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So um, so you're working with this guy, you know, he's helped you out by your first property. And, you know, where, where do condo conversions come into this? Where, where did you start you know, looking for three family, four family plus homes? And all right, I want to take these individual deed these things out and sell these as condos. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, up until that point, I've been working in the Worcester area, um, 
around there doing stuff in the South Shore, Foxborough, Sharon areas. But corner conversions really didn't come around until I came into Boston. And, I, I, you know, the dynamic in Boston versus the suburbs is much different. There's not many single families in Boston. So there are many, much more people that are going to be buying condos. And so when I got into Boston, I mean, that's really what the niches were there with condo conversions, because there's so much value you can add by uh, separating the apartments in a three family. Um, you know, you add so much value by selling them off individually that it just makes sense, you know, to be able to sell a three family for, let's say, 900000 or those three condos for $400,000 each. I mean, that's $300,000 worth of value. So just getting into the Boston market, I think really got me into the condo conversion side of things because condo conversions aren't, uh, uh, you can't do them as much everywhere else. You know, you can do some in Worcester, but there's a lot of single families in Worcester. And I think that's where um, you have to look at, like, what is that market? What are people mainly buying in those areas? Uh, and in Boston, it's condos. Yeah, I agree. Do you, um, I'm not really sure. Maybe I'm ignorant to the fact, but you think in other major metro cities, they have that same kind of niche? I do. I do. Um, you know, I think you got to go city by city. But when you're in these cities, you know that there's not many single families. So right. there are all these multifamilies that, hey, they're either rented as apartments or they're turned into condos and sold as condos. So you see them all in New York, you know, all the major cities. And I'm sure, you know, all the other cities too, but any, any place where there's not many single families and if people want to live in the city, they've got to buy a condo. That's where you're going to see those condo conversions. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. If you think about it, you know, either I can buy a $900,000 house with three family, right. Or 800,000, whatever it is, or I yep. can pay only 400,000. Like this is such a lower barrier of entry for anyone wanting to live in the city. Right. So this Agreed. is a huge different dynamic change that happened there. I mean, if you, you know, you really consider that, like, especially these people that work in the city, you know, they're able to make a lot more money in the city, but that now like, all right, now I can buy a condo for much less than I would actually a real big single family home. Um, so it just opens up the, the pool of people that are able to really, really uh, be successful in the city there. So I agree. Really cool. And yeah, I agree. And, you know, up until then, what were they doing if they couldn't buy a single family in the city? They're either commuting into the city or they're renting in the city. Yep. And we all know that buying is better than renting. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. So can you take me through like the process and like all the individual steps of analyzing a, a property, a multifamily and seeing if it's uh, qualifies to be a good kind of conversion property? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So it, let, let's, let's talk about a regular triple decker in Dorchester. I mean, that what I, I would say, that's my bread and butter. Yep. Uh, you're buying a property that's let's say 3,600 square feet total, three family, uh, each floor is a three bedroom, one bathroom unit. Okay. Uh, at 3,600 square feet, you have to account for common area. Let's say that's about 20%. So let's say that each unit is around a thousand square feet each. Okay. Now, if we're going to do renovations on that, we can talk about doing partial renovations or a full gut renovation. So I usually do a full gut renovation which requires me to put a sprinkler system in the property, a fire alarm system in the property, and update everything, plumbing, electrical, HVAC. Um, so I, I would buy a property for, let's say, 600000 
that needs a full renovation. Now, in the city, yeah, on a three-family, you're going to spend probably around at least $400,000 to renovate a property like that. That's throughout the whole property. So now I bought it for six hundred. I'm into it for another four hundred. So I'm into the property for a million dollars plus my financing costs. Um, then you take those three and to make them actually condos, people aren't as aware of it, but it's not. It's not an. It's it's a pretty simple process. So to turn them into condos is really a lot of legal work. There's no approval needed from the city. Uh, there's no approval needed from your neighbors. It really just comes down to uh, your architect putting together your floor plans for the property, your surveyor putting together the site plan for the property. Because let's say, for instance, there's a, a parking in the back and you want uh, each unit to have a deeded parking space. So uh, it'll be shown on the site plan that the surveyor puts together, which spot is deeded to which unit. And let's say that there's outdoor space. Let's say there's a patio and only one patio. And you want to make that patio exclusive to unit two. So maybe they pay a little bit more for their condo because they have that patio space. And that's deeded towards them. Uh, so that'll be outlined in the site plan as well. Then the rest of it is a bunch of legal documents. So your, your attorney will put together what's called uh, um, the condo docs. You're going to do the, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. You're going to do the condo amendments. And that's going to basically outline that everything that uh, is in the property, what is a common area, what is exclusive to the condo. So it pretty much breaks out the whole property, the whole three family between exclusive space and common space. And all of these documents, the floor plans, the site plan, and the condo documents are recorded in the registry of deeds. So once it's recorded in the registry of deeds, that property, that three family is now condo converted. Okay. That means that we can sell each of those properties individually. So essentially, you know, each condo is like a single family house, right? And they're buying what the parking is, all the exclusive spaces. Let's say they got front porches or they have back porches. Um, so that that gives you a kind of you know good idea of how a condo condo conversion um, is done in the city. Okay, so let me break that down simply here and see if I Please. got it right here. Essentially, so you're gonna go, go find a you're gonna go find a distressed home, a home that needs a lot of work potentially, and you're gonna be looking for like a three, four, even a two family perhaps. Um, yes. And you're gonna want to look for it for a very low cost, say six hundred thousand. You're gonna estimate it's gonna cost four hundred thousand to completely gut this place and you know add all the necessary repairs and uh, maintenance to the property to make it in a good condition. You're gonna hire an architect, um, and you said who else Survey. are you gonna hire? A surveyor, a surveyor. A surveyor. Then you're going to go to your attorney with all this paperwork, give it to them, and then poof, you're done, right? Yeah, you know the attorney is going to going to charge you, you know, between three and five thousand dollars to put all these plans together to record them in the registry of deeds, and then you're all set. You know, a misnomer with a lot of people is that you can turn any three family, regardless of if you have to do any work to it, into condos. The main things that need to happen is that all the utilities need to be separated. So you have to have separate gas, separate uh, electric. The water and sewer can be the same because there's usually only one line that goes into the city. Um, so when we talk about condo fees for each property, that's included in the condo fee 
um, that each of the condo owners will pay into every month. Um, and then that money is paid to pay for the water and sewer and pay for common electric and the master insurance on the building itself. Gotcha. So how much would it really cost for like the architect and the surveyor to, uh, for expenses as well? So architect is going to charge you between two and $3,000 to put together the floor plans and then to show what the exclusive spaces are. And then your survey is going to charge you around $2,000 too. Okay. So, so I would say all in all, you're talking between eight and $10,000 to convert a three family, four family into, into condos. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's really not too bad. Have you ever bought a property where that's all you did? Like it was all set up, everything was separated and you just, you know, got the $10,000, put it into it, separated it real quick and just sold those off. I have not, uh, because usually in the city, it's very tough. You know, this This is very tough to buy properties, uh, that don't need a too much work at the prices that us real estate developers or real estate investors want to buy at. So I have bought properties where maybe I only spend 20,000 per unit but never a case where I turn it right into condos and sell it off. Although they're out there. They are. Right. Right. So one other question I got is uh, what does time look like on this, you know, to completely renovate a property, obviously, you know, talking six months, potentially to a year. Right. And then Mm -hmm. for the architect, the surveyor and the attorney to draft up these docs, how long does that process take? Yeah. So the, the attorney and the architect and the surveyor to draft all these docs up, that's all done while we're doing our renovations. So when I usually do a three-family, let's say, gut renovation or you know a good size renovation, I'm start to finish about twelve months. Sometimes gotcha. it goes to fifteen months if it's a really big renovation, but I would say between uh, twelve and fifteen months. And the recording and the survey and all that stuff. I mean, that's a couple of weeks. the The main thing is really the the renovations on the property. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and how many uh, condo conversions have you done so far? Do you think? Oh man, I've, uh, I've, I've probably done about 50 to 60 condo conversions wow. in the city. Um, yeah. You know, I started out in 2015 doing the condo conversions and, you know, because I had multiple partners, we had to do higher volume. You know, it's a lot different when you're, it's just you versus two other guys. If you got two other guys, that's two other mouths to feed. So right. we were buying a lot more properties. We were doing between 10 and 12 properties at a time. And it became a lot. You know, that's another story for another day, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, I've done a lot in the city uh, between condo conversions and, and rezoning. So where do you see the future for condo conversions in Boston? I mean, I'm sure the, the inventory is starting to slim and slim down. To be honest, Justin, I think there's just still plenty of inventory. And if you're talking like people, people talked about South Boston being at its peak three, four, five years ago, and it's still only gone up. And when you drive through South Boston, you drive through East Boston, you're going to see plenty of multifamily properties that have not been condo converted yet. There's a lot of landlords that just like to have them as multifamilies. Uh, And they'll, they'll own them, you know, forever. They'll pass them down to their family. Maybe eventually they will become condos, but yeah, to be honest, Justin, I don't see um, I don't see the condo conversions really slowing down too much. Uh, what I do see is what we talked what we'll talk about is rezoning property. So there's land, or there's maybe a single family on a on a big piece of land, and you could make that into a six family, build it, and then send sell those as condos. So I think there's kind of an endless supply, whether it's existing multifamilies to 
you know, new construction properties that we can, that we can rezone. Yeah. I think that's the, like the secondary niche, the biggest price secondary niche in Boston is the rezoning. I mean, yes. you know, right next to condo conversions, that's like what every, everybody's really trying to do. They're trying to find land. They're trying to find, you know, uh, three family properties in a, in a four family neighborhood. Uh, they're trying to see, you know, all right, what, what's the variance on this? How can I push this back? How can I add a, add some added ne- extra floors, some domers and all that. So, so you've been able to do that pretty successfully, right? Yeah, I have. I mean, I think, you know, with any type of real estate, it's how do you add value? And when you're looking at any property, there's different ways you can add value. You know, when you're buying a property that you're not doing any rezoning on, you buy a two family or three family, the way that you add value is, you know, construction or, you know, you know how to renovate a property uh, less than someone else. So that's how you add value rather than a regular homeowner who says, oh, it's probably going to cost me $100,000, $100,000, it may only cost you $50,000. So it's really about um, where you can add value. And I think what, like you said, a lot of people, a lot of developers or investors in the city, they come across a property and they say, wow, okay, maybe I can't add value by renovating this property, but it has a piece of land next to it. What can I do with that? And that's kind of the natural progression of getting into some rezoning when you get a property that you know qualifies for it. Right, right. So for with rezoning, obviously there's some risks associated with, especially if it's you know you got to get a variance, you got to go through the proper yes. procedures to make sure uh, you can legally do it. And sometimes you, it's a risk, right? You buy a property and you're not able to do it, right? Has that ever happened to you where you bought a property, you're thinking, all right, I can add, uh, you know, I can turn this three family into a foreign family, and they didn't let you. Yes, I have, and I think it's really about having that second or third exit strategy. Yep. So for instance, you know, I, uh, on this property, I was able to get the variance, but I brought a property in Jamaica Plain. You've actually been to it oh, yeah. and I bought it as a two family. But the way that I look at rezoning properties is if I wasn't able to change that two family to a three family, as a two family, does the deal still make sense or am I going to lose money? So you never want to buy a property that if you don't get that variance and you don't get that rezone, then the property is not worth as much as you bought it for. Um, right. You know, you're always going to have that second exit strategy. So with this property in particular, as a two family, I was going to make decent money. Now, as I convert it to a three family, I can make that much more. Um, so, and there's other ways of going about it too, where people get properties contingent upon zoning. And I feel that if you don't have that second exit strategy, or let's say that that seller really wants a certain number for the property, and that number makes sense if you get it rezoned, but it doesn't make sense if you can't get it rezoned, well, that's a perfect candidate for a contingency deal where you can go through the zoning, you have minimal risk, you still have to put up some money for the architect, for for the surveyor to go through the process but it's not nearly as much as purchasing the property outright and then trying to figure out if you can get the variance. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I think like, you know, if you're going to buy a real estate deal, especially, especially if you're new, you have to have multiple exits on it. You have to know, you know, if this doesn't work, I can do this. And there got to be multiple outlays for it. Um, you know, one thing I, I want to ask you, Andrew, would you recommend, you know, going through the, obviously you got to have multiple exits, but for a newbie investor to come in here and try to do some condo conversions, would you recommend them just jumping right into that? I mean, condo conversions, yes. When it comes to rezoning, I think they need to get some experience. I think they need to uh, 
uh, or know people with experience and ask them. So right. asking them questions, okay, can you help me out with this? You know, because people that have done it before, you know, we're, we're a little uh, less risk adverse because we've done it before. We have a good idea of what can be done. But for newbies getting into any rezoning, I think they should hold off. Yeah. As far as corner conversions, like, like I said earlier, there's no approval needed from city, from the neighbors. So it really comes down to the numbers. Buy what you buy it for, what you renovate it for, and what you sell the condos for. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think newbies can totally get involved in condo conversions. Yeah, my only thoughts on it really, I mean, that's it's really cool about the that there's no uh, approval process. But my only thing for newbies would be that's a pretty big uh, renovation budget where a lot of things could come up. But also, there's a lot of benefits there because you know, by going through and doing everything to the property, there's nothing that probably is going to crazy that comes up unless, you know, this yeah. is like foundational issues. So just make sure you're <laughs> the bones are really good and then you should be good to go. Right. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think one other thing that uh, people newbies don't know about, especially in the city is your utilities coming into the property. And I know this from experience. I know this because I had to write a $15,000 check because my water line wasn't up to code. I had to write a $10,000 check because my sewer line was cracked going out to the street, but I didn't know better. So a couple of things that you can do to avoid that, especially with sewer lines, it's just an easy thing. You can get a company to do to camera the line. Cost you $300, but now you know if there's a crack in the line, you know if you need to replace it or not, versus finding out after the fact. So you know, like you said, when you're doing a big renovation like that, you definitely can can uh, control most of the cost. But those are some of the things that now I know when I go into a property, either I'm already going to say we're going to spend the money to do it or I've done my due diligence and I know that we don't need to. Uh, but utilities are, are a big factor, especially in the city. There's not many utility companies that uh, that do work in the city. So they kind of have a hold on us real estate developers and charge us what they want to charge us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I agree on that. <laughs> so, Andrew, what what else uh, could you give to maybe like a new investor in terms of condo conversions? Like, what else should they know? Anything else that they should know about? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just knowing your numbers. Uh, the big thing when you get into these bigger, uh, bigger jobs where you're all into it for a million dollars is the type of financing that you have. And early on, when you're a newbie, it's very tough to get bank financing. So then you're looking at hard money financing. And what I think a lot of people do is they try to make the deal work. And what I mean by that is they'll say, all right, this project's going to take me nine months. When in actuality, it may take you 11 or 12 months, but you're saying, hey, best case scenario, it'll take me nine months. And then you say, well, we could, we could probably do it for $350,000 as opposed to $400,000. So I see a lot of new people trying to make the deal work and saying, okay, the profit is what I want it to be if I do it in nine months and I do it for $350,000. So newbies need to know, you know, it, you have to be conservative on every side of the transaction. What you're going to sell it for, hey, if I think I'm going to get the project done in nine months, I'm going to put 12 months in my deal analysis 
And if the deal still makes sense, if the numbers are still good, then I'm going to do it. I'm not going to try to make this thing the, the, the fastest and quickest project I've ever done. I'm going to account for a couple of months if there are delays. And then same thing on construction side. You know, you have to say, hey, let's put a 5% contingency or a 10% contingency in a deal like that. Because like I said, utilities, water line, sewer line, gas line can come up. Um, that's what I see, you know, the major mistakes with, with, uh, with people getting into this is really just being super conservative with the numbers that they have. Because I always say, hey, if, uh, if, if I'm able to, um, if, if I'm able to make money and say it's going to take me 12 months, well, if it only takes me nine months, well, that's $20,000 back in my pocket. It's better than saying I was going to make 180. Now I'm going to make 160 because I wasted those three months. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, one, another question, Andrew is like, you know, so I know a lot of what you do when you buy properties, you know, you're, you're, sometimes if you wanted to actually manage the properties yourself as a GC, you're going to send mm. properties, you're going to have subcontractors come by and uh, you're going to obviously find them and have them come and work on the project. Right. Mm-hmm. So for, for a newbie, you know, getting involved, right. Obviously they're going to either hire a GC or they're going to sub find the sub subcontractors themselves, which is also going to be very yeah. hard. Where, where, how do you recommend that process? Obviously for you, it's going to be a, a little bit easier because you have that experience. You went through with the mentor and you grew through that and now you're 13 years later too. But for a newbie, yep. you know, to go in there and go find, you know, trustworthy, uh, reliable contractors, what would you recommend for them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, hiring a GC to run your whole project is putting a lot of faith in one person. And if they don't have anything on the line, if they're not signing on the, on the loan, if they're not raising the capital, putting their more, their money in, well, they're going to treat that like any other job and not how you would treat a job. So I do love GCs, the right GCs that you know and you can trust. Um, Finding one of those, it's tough to come by, but it really comes through referrals. So family and friends that you know, and then it's really about going to see their work and getting a good feel if if, if they've done a lot of work in the city. Because people people could do plenty of stuff outside the city, but the city is different. And you have to know the permitting process. You have to know who to talk to and you have to know the right steps to take. So anytime I talk about contractors, trying to find new subcontractors, it really comes down to who do you know in your network that you could ask? Are there other developers that you know and you trust that you can ask for if they have an electrician, if they have a plumber, if they have an HVAC guy? Going on Google or Craigslist, you know, that's like your last resort. It's not <laughs> something that you want to be jumping on right away. Ask right. the people that are in the business already to get some good referrals because, you know, I love giving out my electrician and my plumber because then I'm giving them work and then they're happy because they know they're getting more money from those other jobs. So they're more prone to be on top of my jobs. So when I say, hey, I need you there tomorrow, they're there. Um, so it's super helpful for me. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like you're going to get a lot of DMs. Hey, hey, Andrew, I need a, I need a GC. I need an electrician. <laughs> let, let me know. Let me know. With, with a GC, like I, I feel that if you are going to hire a GC, you should be shadowing them every single day. You should be seeing exactly how they do everything because you want to learn yourself. You want to gain as much knowledge as you can. And there are, there are GCs out there that are more than happy to share 
you know, what they know. So finding those people, they're out there. Finding people that want to give back and want to share what they've experienced um, is a huge factor in real estate when you're getting involved. Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, Andrew, where, where are you finding these deals? Oh, man, I, I think similar to you, a lot of this, a lot of these properties are off market. It's um, through cold calling. It's through door knocking. Uh, and then, you know, that's for newbies. But if, if you've been in the game for as long as I have, you have a network of people. So you have real estate brokers or real estate agents sending you properties. Um, it's great to have those people. They don't necessarily always bring you the best deal, but you can work with them to a point where they know exactly what you're looking for. So they're not sending you something that you know that they know doesn't work for you. So setting those expectations from the beginning is a big part. Hey, I'm looking for three families in Dorchester that well, I can buy for this much money that need this, this amount of work. Now you've created criteria for those real estate brokers or agents to start looking for properties for you. As you build up that, uh, <clears throat> as you build up that trust with those brokers and you start closing on those deals, when they come across them, you're the first person that they should be thinking about. So I'm at a point now where I have real estate brokers that say, oh, this is in Dorchester in the 02124 area. Let's call Andrew up. I know he'll buy it. I know he's going to close. Being able to close and saying, saying, saying you're going to close and closing is a big part of this real estate game because that's how you gain that, uh, you gain that reputation um, to have other people bring you, bring you more deals. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you grew your network to so big where if someone even brings you a deal that doesn't make sense for you, you have an abundance amount of people that can, you can pass off that deal to and just middleman and make that, make that relationship there work. And like, you know, you and I did totally. a deal where, you know, you passed off one of your buddies and we, we did a deal together and it, and it worked out great. Um, and, and, you know, just by building that network up, you know, over the course of years is going to take care of you for life. And, you know, if you're a new investor out there, like really taking that into consideration and, you know, your reputation is everything in this business too. So how you do, you know, one thing is how you do everything. And if you do one thing wrong or, or you do one thing right, you're seen as that. Like, you know, Andrew, I know one thing about you. You are a master communicator. Like you do a very good job at that. And I know that has a lot to do with your success. And a lot of people in the game are terrible at communicating. Terrible, especially real estate agents. <laughs> I know it. I know it. They really are. But like, you know, to your point, newbies or people that want to get started in real estate, for the first six months, they should just be networking. They should be building up uh, their their phone book. They should be saying, hey, let me take you out. Let me, let me, hey, can I come see one of your properties? You're walking through properties. That's how you're gaining that, that experience and that knowledge. Um, you know, building that network up to a point where, and especially with, you know, if you're trying to raise money from investors, I'll tell you this, when I was 19, 20 years old, trying to raise money for properties, and I'm talking to 30, 40 and 50 year olds, they're like, who are you? <laughs> but fast forward 10 years from now, now they're all saying, hey, Andrew, you got another project. I want to invest. I want to invest. Those people that 19, 20 years old, I still know now. And it, now that they've seen me at that, at that age and now that they see me now, I mean, it, it, uh, it makes a big impact. 
Yeah, I'd agree. And I mean, especially if you're new to the biggest value you can bring to another investor while you're, while you're going to meet these people is bring them a deal, a really good totally. one too. So like, you know, like that's the one thing we mastered in our business or business or are mastering right now mm-hmm. is the art of finding good deals and everything opens up for you once you have a good deal. I mean, you know, I just started a partnership with somebody where he's given us the hundred percent financing for a deal and we're going to be getting, you know, close to, we're getting an assignment fee up front. We're getting equity in the deal. Uh, it's Love it's it. a home run deal for us. And it's just because we had the deal and we met him at a, a real estate networking event and we built a relationship up and he liked us and we liked him and it made sense. And, you know, and, you know, who are we at the end of the day? You know, we're just starting out, like we're a year and a half in too, you know, and um, it's the just, deal. The deal is the gold, brother. You it know is, that. It is. You got, you got the deal in and you can dictate what you want to do with it. Right. Exactly. You can dictate if you want to do it yourself, you want to partner with someone, if you want to wholesale it. So, you know, although, you know, corner conversions and rezoning is a big part of my business, one of the major factors, and you know this too, we always need to our pipeline. We always need to be getting more and more deals because whether they're deals that I want to do myself or they're deals that I have a bunch of people that are looking for deals, we can pass them on to them and make, and make some money in the process. Yeah. And I feel like with, with you, Andrew, you've been in the game for a little bit. So you've been through the roller coasters. You know, where you, where you got a Big bunch time. of deals going and you, you stop prospecting and because you have all these deals, and you got to work on them. Right. And you don't have the system set up that are continuously bringing in that pipeline. But now you do. You learned that. I, screw the roller coaster. <laughs> screw the yeah. ups and downs. Screw everything's going great. And then the next month I'm in the dump and I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> and I think the other thing, too, um, it's a good lesson that I learned. I mean, I learned the hard way. But, um, you know, early on, every deal that we got, we ended up trying to do ourselves. And you don't need 10 deals to make the money you want to make. If you can focus on, if you can take those 10 deals and wholesale five or six of them, then you can really focus on the four deals that you have and extract the most amount of money from those. But if you have 10 deals going on, your head is going 10 different ways and you're really not able to focus on the construction, on the on the scheduling of these properties. And, you know, in the end, you're not going to make as much profit as you would focusing on three or four deals. And essentially you're hedging your bets, you're diversifying. So, you know, if one project, you know, you messed up on the numbers, which happens sometimes, and it's not even just yep. you, things come up. And now you yep. have these couple wholesale deals that are you making an extra 10, 20, 30 off. All right. You know, I had an extra $20,000 expense there. I have this wholesale deal, closed that, took that money, put it over there and it's done deal. No yep. problem. So, you know, and I, I think that's a, that's a great attribute towards what you're doing and what's working well for you. And if you're out there as a new investor, like, you know, become a master deal finder because that's going to be, you know, your gold mine. And then, you know, be sure to always be prospecting. You know, Andrew is continuously always prospecting and that's why his pipeline's always full. And that's why you always have projects and that's why you'll continue to be successful. Totally. And, you know, I think that new people need to also understand like how your mindset changes when you either, when you have money or when you don't have money. So doing those wholesales, if you have 10 deals going on that you're doing construction on, you're not making money on those until those are done. Right. But if you sell five of those, now you've got some, some money in your bank. You have to think, how, how, how am I going to be thinking differently if I have $50,000, $100,000 in the bank versus no money in the bank and 10 deals going on that I might not get paid for eight months? Right. right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, one cool. question, uh, Andrew, I, you know, I, I try to ask everybody and I feel like 
not really necessary for you because you did the proper things coming right out of high school. But if you were to graduate high school today and you could talk to your younger self, what is one thing you would tell them? Out of high school, huh? Yeah. <sighs> well, I am happy that I did finish my degree uh, in college. Nice. Um, but, you know, for me, I think it, it's not, not necessary for everyone. If you do want to get into real estate, um, I think I did the right thing by doing the amount of networking that I did early on. I think that now I'm starting to get back into my networking. Uh, I should have done it the whole way through, but you really get bogged down with the amount of projects you have going on with what you what you're doing, and you lose sight of that networking and building your network and learning more. You know, uh, learning from other people. So if I were to ask, if I were to tell my high school self, um, man, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way that things turned out. Um, if I would have asked myself from 22 to 26, what would I have done differently? Man, there's plenty of things. But early on, I felt like you taking the right steps of networking, finding great mentors, learning from those people, and focusing that your first or second deal are your are your best deals because that really sets you up. You know, if your first deal is not a good deal and you lose money on it. I don't think anyone is going to continue in real estate. So going out there and finding those great deals and taking that one deal and mastering it and being a, being successful in that first deal, I think really sets you up for your career. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, that's incredible that, you know, you can go back to your younger self and say, Hey man, just, you're on the right path. You know, keep, keep, just, just do what you want to do. Trust yourself and you got this. And you know, totally. that, that's that really a great testament to where you are today, man. That's awesome. That's, that's incredible. I appreciate that, Josh. I appreciate yeah, that. Of course, man. So, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time, uh, but where can more uh, the audience find more about yourself or connect with you? Yeah. So I'm up on Instagram. I think it's penny underscore investments. Um, you can, you can DM me anytime. Um, you know, my email is on there as well. So I think that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. And then we can connect, you know, via text uh, or via email and, you know, more than happy to take people around to show show the products I have going on. I got about six active projects in the city right now, and they're all at different stages. So, you know, I love to be able to show people, hey, this is a property where that's gutted right now. We're halfway through on this project, and we're about to put the finishing touches on this other one. Um, so, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me anytime. I'm in Dorchester, JP, South Boston, East Boston all those areas and, you know, happy to connect with anyone that wants to learn more about real estate and get more involved. I love that, man. That's awesome, man. That's awesome that you give back like that. So yeah, I'll have it in the show notes, guys. If you want to check out Andrew, connect with him, go check out some of his projects, you know, hit him up on Instagram. Um, but cool. thank you, Andrew, for taking the time to hop on here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. I mean, this this episode has been awesome. You know, talking about condo conversions, talking about mindset, talking about mentors, partnerships, and you know, really where how you're able to get started in investing. So, man, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you having me. It's been a blast. Of course, man. So there we go. There's another episode of the Home Point Experience. Until next time.